for 40 years, I don't think you ever master ballet. And I think that's one of the beauties of it. I don't think you ever master tap. I don't think you ever master anything. Please hold. Please hold. What are you laughing about? Your, your please hold. I know. One of my nieces told me it sounds like a man saying that. No, it just reminds me of a movie. Uh, what is it? When aliens attack where Sigourney Weaver is in this movie and an alien's trying to come in the back door. She's on the phone. And she's like, please hold. <laughs> <laughs> An alien spaceship landed in her backyard. She's on the phone. She's like, please hold. <laughs> so I always say that and think of Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Mr. Jeff Amston. Did you see this morning that I tagged you on an Insta story? I did. I added it to my story. Oh, yeah. At the very, very end of that episode, I don't know where it comes from, but even after the music played, I started referencing Take Care of Your Body, and I say... I said, as Jeff Amston always says, it's easier to stay in shape than it is to get back into shape. I always remember you said that, and it makes it makes life much easier to manage when you think of it that way. Boy, isn't that the truth? And you're the perfect example of that. You're always at the gym at every Tremaine I was ever at. You were at the gym on Friday night or Saturday or Sunday, all three, working out. And then invariably there's that mom that always will say to you, or the dad equally, isn't the teaching enough? Isn't that all that dancing enough to keep you right, fit and right. in shape? And you're like, no. You're like, no. Because I want to eat dark chocolate. <laughs> oh, I've been eating so much chocolate lately. So Jeff Amston, you should probably introduce yourself because I don't have your bio. Go ahead. Oh, hello. I'm Jeff Amston. I am a teacher a choreographer, a director, and I have been in the dance business for 40 years now. So it's been a minute. Um, I started out as a street dancer, and then I discovered classical ballet when I was 15. I studied on scholarship at the Joffrey Ballet School in New York City, and I was in the school company. It was the, my first professional job was the Joffrey Ballet Concert Group. And then I joined Finest Young's Chamber Ballet USA, and then I started doing commercial work. Started out doing television in Italy, and then came back to the United States and uh, had my, well, not my own TV series, but I was one of the stars of the TV series Dancing to the Hits. I worked on the American Music Awards, the Oscars, plenty, well, plenty, uh, tons of movies, commercials, videos. And uh, then I started choreographing and started choreographing in Japan and then went to London and then back to New York. So I've been traveling all over this world as a gypsy, as a dancer, teacher, and choreographer. And always been able to support yourself through your love for the performing arts. You know, I worked as a waiter when I was uh, 19 in New York. I worked for six months as a waiter. So I would take six hours of ballet and then I'd work as a waiter at night for five and six hour shifts. And then once I got into the Joffrey Ballet Concert Group, I never had another job other than dancing or teaching or choreographing or directing. 
I've been very fortunate, but I also believe that you make your luck. So, um, you know, I've always been disciplined to the art of dance and, um, you know, studied with the great masters, uh, Jerome Robbins, Michael Kidd, Michael Peters, Paul Abdul. Uh, and I've always, you know, tried to hold myself to these high standards that these amazing choreographers um, held me to. So that's what I try to pass on to my students. And sometimes I think I probably come off to them as too strict or too rigid, but I feel like I owe it to the people that were the true masters, Michael Peters, Jerome Robbins, Michael Kidd, Twyla Tharp, uh, Mark Morris, all of these genius choreographers that I've worked for, they achieved their greatness because of their commitment and their discipline to their art forms. So I, I pass on that commis- commitment and discipline to my students and uh, it's paid off. I've gotten two girls into Juilliard um, in the past two years, girls that I've trained for seven years and the Juilliard only accepts 12 girls out of the entire United States. And I've gotten a girl in every year for the past two years. And, And so is it strictly technique, refinement, poise, presentation? It's all of that, right? It's the whole package. Um, I, As I teach, I try to teach a really, really strong, good foundation from the toes to the top of the head. And then I try to teach quality of movement and artistry of movement. And then I also try to teach versatility and being able to adapt your technique to ballet, adapt your technique to jazz, adapt your technique to to any style of movement. Once you've learned how to stand on your feet, you can adjust uh, the upper body to any style of movement that you're doing. Wow. I am very careful about using the word master teacher. Do you, you didn't call yourself one. And do you think, I, I, I would say you're a master teacher. I well, guess we have, I, I guess the real question is what's the definition? <laughs> okay. Yeah. I teach master classes and uh, I don't feel like you ever master ballet. And I think that's, One of the beauties of it, I don't think you ever master tap. I don't think you ever master anything. And I think the great teachers and the true master teachers were people who were always trying to figure out a way to say it in a better way, to demonstrate it in a better way, so that more people can understand. Some people will go in and teach a class and they'll give the information and say 30% of the kids will get it and 70% won't. And instead of focusing on the, the kids that don't get it, they'll just focus on the ones that do get it. And mm-hmm. my whole my whole thing is, you know, how can I say it in such a way that everybody has little light bulbs going off? You know, they might be little Christmas twinkle lights going off initially and not huge spotlights going off. But I try right. to say it in such a way that they'll be like, hmm, let me think about that. And sometimes you'll hear a piece of information and it won't make sense to you. Until maybe even a month later, and you'll hear somebody else say something, and you'll be like, oh, that's what Miss Lori was trying to tell me about Mm -hmm. in this pullback, and now it makes sense to me. So a lot of times when we teach, we're planting seeds, and sometimes that seed will lay dormant until somebody else comes along and maybe waters that seed. So I try try to teach to the whole room and not just a few select individuals. Understood. Where do you see the future of dance, in particular as it relates to dance studio ownership? Well, I think that this online situation is a great opportunity. 
for dance studio owners to con- connect with people at home that maybe want to take a stretch class or maybe want to take a yoga class or maybe they want to take a beginning tap class, but through maybe they have anxiety. Maybe they don't feel comfortable with the way their body looks right now. And maybe they want to be at home on a piece of plywood just struggling through trying to learn how to do a flap or my whole thing was learning how to do wings. I never mastered that. So I think it's an opportunity to reach people that aren't going to drive, you know, 30 minutes to a studio, put themselves in a leotard and sweatpants and, and stand in front of a mirror uh, and dance for an hour. So it's a great opportunity for studio owners to reach a whole new audience and a whole new clientele that they might not have otherwise, um, you know, connected with. Right. Almost like reinventing their business reinventing their business and, um, you know, creating new business. And one of the things that I've told other studio owners is, you know, do it in packages. So like we're going to do five tap classes and and in those five tap classes, we're going to just cover the basics. Maybe we cover, you know, two different steps in each tap class. So by the end of the five seminars, you've mastered, you haven't mastered, but you've, you've learned, you've become familiar with the terminology. What's a flap? What's a shuffle? What's a pullback? What's a Lindy? I don't even know all the time. Right, of course, yeah. You know, but in, you know, what are the positions of basic ballet? There's things that you can do. Like, I think that, you know, this is a great opportunity for teachers to say, okay, let's do a stretch class for the student and the parent. Basic stretches that you can do with your child on the floor right now in front of, you know, in the living room that um, are simple that will help out an adult lengthen out their back, maybe stretch out their hamstrings, stretch out their arms, learning how to flex and move their ankles and their feet. You know, there's a lot of things that we can be doing at home for people that are maybe curious about dance, but haven't really made that commitment. It's very intimidating to walk into a dance studio, especially if you're new and you don't know what you're really looking for. So this is a great way to sort of like showcase the smorgasbord of dance is out there and to get people to maybe do a little sampling and try stuff at home. And then maybe if they, build some confidence at home they will go and they'll they'll go sign up for the beginning dance class when you reopen and they'll go sign up for the beginning stretch class or the yoga dance class or whatever style that they tend to lean towards this is a great opportunity to introduce them to right. that home you, you know i never thought about that it is a little intimidating to walk into a dance studio because there's a lot of vulnerability involved ah, okay yeah. So let's switch gears. Let's talk about mindset, because I notice when you're teaching, a lot of what you teach has to do with if you want it, it's there for you. If you're going to be lazy in the mind and in the body or have a nonchalant attitude, eh, not so much. How would you be thinking if you were 16 and you want a career in the performing arts? It could be so overwhelmed with what's going on in the outside world that you forget that eventually we'll flatline. Where are you going to be when this goes away? Thank you, Jeff. That's what I'm really trying to say. Thank you very much. I mean, that's one of the things that I was, uh, I just did an online convention with 70 dancers. And one of the things I left them at the end of class, I said, where do you want to be when this is over? Do you want to be back where you were 
four months ago when this started? Do you want to be ahead? Do you want to be past the people that that were your competition? Or do you want to just be sitting in a hole feeling sorry for yourself? So you have to ask yourself, where do you want to be when this is done? Do you want to be ahead or do you want to be behind? Or do you want to be where you were when you when this whole thing started? And you have to ask yourself, you know, and the other thing is I was thinking too, I am the sole responsibility of my dream. I am responsible for my dream. I can't let anybody take my dream away from me. I have to protect it as if it's the most, as if it's the heart pumping blood through all of these cells in my body, all the organs of my body. My dream has to be like my heart and I have to protect it and I have to nurture it and I have to, to feed it. And I am responsible for that, especially if you're uh, a preteen or a teenager, right? These girls that are boys that are, if you're like 11 and above or 10 and above, and you've already kind of thought, well, maybe I might want to be a dancer or maybe I want to be a singer or maybe I want to be an actor, then you are responsible for taking care of that dream. And if time is money, everybody says time is money, then we have been gifted this phenomenal fortune of time that we can take to take all the online classes at our studio, supplement those with dance on film. There's so much dance content on YouTube that we can go to and we can be inspired by. And we can take notes. We can take notes. We can look at somebody and go, oh, that male dancer has phenomenal extension and also beautiful pirouettes. I'm going to write down exactly what this dancer is doing, and I'm going to make photos of that, and I'm going to visualize in my mind while I'm taking these online classes. Even though my leg may not go to that high extension now, I'm going to visualize my body, my legs and feet, extending my leg that high. And what you do when you do that is your brain is a computer. So your brain is then sending impulses into the muscles. And those muscles will then start to follow the direction of where that brain wants to go. It's a proven fact with Olympic athletes. You see them with their headphones on and they have all their, their bathrobes or whatever and they're about to get into the pool. And they're visualizing themselves touching that wall ahead of all the other swimmers, they're visualizing themselves on the platform at the awards ceremony with the national anthem of whatever country they're from playing in the background with a gold medal around their their chest. They're visualizing the perfect swim, the perfect victory. And their body will then follow where that visualization goes. Now that works both ways. It works Conversely, too, if I'm visualizing death and destruction and despair and the worst case scenario, then I'm going to create that for my my life. What I've been doing is that, you know, I can't control what's going to happen, but I can control my thoughts and my feelings and my emotions in my space of right now, where I am right now. And so that's what I focus on, the power of right now. You know, go outside, sit down, find five things in your front yard that you've never seen before. I could bet you could come up with a hundred things that you pass by every single day and that you don't even notice. 
you know. So it all begins in the mind. If I want to be successful, if I want my dream to stay alive, then I have to visualize the best case scenario for my dream and for my life and for my world that I live in. Absolutely. And guess what? That the way in which you're keeping your dream alive, it has to resonate through all the other parts of your life, your physical well-being, your mental well-being, Absolutely. your relationship, the foods you eat, the decisions you make. How are you make. your dream? How are you feeding? How is your leg going to get there if you're living on uh, fast food? One of the things that's been so great about this thing is I have cooked every meal for myself for the last five weeks. I have not gone through a drive through of any kind. So my, I feel great. I look great. I'm as lean as I was when I was, you know, dancing at the Joffrey School, probably leaner. And I have so much more energy. I go to bed. I sleep 10 hours a night. I wake up wide awake, ready to go. And, um, you know, I do all my physical chores on this ranch and, you know, keep my dreams of my, my equestrian dreams alive. But um, I also, you know, every time I eat something, I ask myself, is this going to move me towards my goal or is this moving me away from my goal? Is and guess nutritious? what? Yes, ma'am. The same thing about is this nutritious? Is this moving me towards my goal or away from my goal? The same thing for your love relationships and the Absolutely. decisions you make relative to the people you hang out with, date, whatever. Absolutely. You've got to surround yourself with a team of of positive thinking, positive moving people. If you, if you surround yourself with people that don't have dreams, don't have goals that sit around all day long, eating junk food and watching junk television, then you're going to become exactly what you're eating and what you're watching. You have to, you know, you and I would always talk about when we were on convention, you have to, you have to vibrate, at the level that you want the universe to accept you at. So if you want to be a high achieving individual, then you have to elevate yourself and stay up with those high achieving people. Think positive, you know, eat positive, surround yourself with motivated people because, you know, it's easy to get down. It's easy to get discouraged. But if I'm next to Lori Johnson, who's vibrating at 500% energy, then as soon as I start to think, oh, well, this sucks, I look at you and I go, oh, well, look at her. She's so vibrant. I'm going to vibrate like her. So you need to have people that are going to help recharge you and remind you where you're going and remind you that this is how you get there. And that's my responsibility to surround myself with those people. And your responsibility to yourself, to hold yourself accountable to your dream because ultimately it falls on the shoulders of the dreamer. And yes, there's yeah. so many skills to learn. There's bootstrapping, there's financial management, there's emotional intelligence, there's creative thinking. The list is endless. And really is. There's so right, much that goes into it. And every day you're making decisions that impact that dream. And I'm always amazed at a person that says, this is what I want to do with my life. And they set everything up. So if they're moving in the right direction, and then all of a sudden they'll take this huge detour that almost guarantees that the dream is deferred, and yeah. whether that's in, I don't know if that's intentional. I well, hope it's, it's intentional. Like people, it, a lot of people do self sabotage. They'll move to LA, they'll get their apartment, and things will start going great. They'll be taking class, they'll start getting noticed in class, 
And then the next thing you know, they're running around with people that stay out till five in the morning, sleep till four in the afternoon, go to the beach every single day, chill, hang out. And then pretty soon, three months go by, four months go by, and all the other people that moved to L.A. at the same time as them are now on tour with Lady Gaga, and you've self-sabotaged yourself. And, yeah, you have a great tan because you've been at the beach every day, but you've also put on 15 pounds. You're a little bit bloated. You don't look healthy. You don't look rested. And then when you finally get that great audition, you go in, and you're not ready. You're not ready. So you have to be ready. Michael Strahan says, if I stay ready, I don't have to get ready. And that is a really great uh, way to live your life. you got to stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Ooh, okay, enough said there. I remember feeling so beat down and depleted, like your life is not going anywhere. And it feels like every minute you're thinking, maybe I should just give up. Maybe I should just go and find a regular this. Maybe I should just go back to that. Maybe I should just leave here and return to there. Yes. And oftentimes it's, in a way, running from yourself because you know the dream. You created it. And it's so difficult that you talk yourself out of it, like you said, self-sabotage. You know how I got myself together? I've read maybe 10 books in my whole life, but I started this one book. It was called um, The Fear of fear of Failure, not The Fear oh, of really? Success. Oh, wait, was it The Fear of Success or The Fear? It's The Fear of Success. And in there... I I read something about myself, and I think it had to do with decision-making, that inability to just make a decision, even at that moment, day-to-day decisions that say, okay, today I'm going to just try to write a blog. I can come up with 200 words to write a blog. It's okay if I don't post it anywhere, but at least today. And you make that commitment that once a week, I'll do this. You know, for me, just five minutes a day to read, I didn't even keep that commitment to myself. So it's hard. It's really hard to keep commitments to yourself. And that's why you have to take baby steps. So like 30 seconds a day, can I sit still and meditate? Okay, if I can't find 30 seconds a day to keep sit still and meditate, then I need more help than I think I need. Well, that's true. And it's easier to commit to somebody else than it is to commit to ourselves. Oh, yeah. And that's an interesting scenario. So I think that goes back to what we were saying earlier. If you surround yourself with people who are positive and like-minded, they will help hold yourself accountable. And not in a way that they're like, now, Laurie, you said that you were going to read five minutes, but in a way where they might say, man, I just read this amazing passage in this book that really I really made me look at life in a different way. And then you'll go, yeah, you know, I really should get back to my reading for five minutes a day, or I should do my meditation. So that's the way that like-minded people hold you accountable. It's not like they're calling you and go, what did you eat today? You fat pig, you know, they're they're. It's more like, Oh my gosh, I've been taking this, this green shake that has 70 different fruits and vegetables in it. And I just feel so awesome. How are you doing? And then you'd be like, Oh, well, maybe I should try that and I should do that, you know. So that's what it means to surround yourself with with people, not to have a prison guard or a warden walking around supervising your every movement and and pointing a finger at you and saying you're a bad person. You know, that's we don't nobody wants to have that in their life. But if you're around people who are going places and they're excited about what they're doing and they're sharing that excitement 
of their league, even little tiny successes, uh, you know, you're going to be excited. I'll tell you a little short story. Years ago, I had a huge ranch up in Washington State, and it was surrounded by barbed wire. And barbed wire was invented by the Nazis to keep prisoners in because it's like razor blades. And when you go to go through it, it will cut you. So, so cattle ranchers use it because cattle try to always move through fences. And cattle move really slow. So they lean against this wire and it kind of prods them and they, they ease away from it. But for horses, it's very, very dangerous. So I removed all the barbed wire on this fence, fence on these fences, which was 40 acres, and I put in brand new fence posts because all the fence posts that have been there had been there since the 20s, and they were all rotting and, and falling over. So I decided that because I had made such a huge financial investment into these fence posts that I was going to paint them. So I went out there one day with a huge, heavy, heavy bucket of paint that I could barely lift, and a paintbrush. And I started painting these brush, fence posts. And I would paint one and two and three, and then I would stop and rest. And I would always look down this row of unpainted fence posts. And I would think to myself, there's no way that I'm ever, ever going to finish these fence, fence posts. And I would paint and paint and paint. And pretty soon it was like towards the end of the day, and it was hot, and I was sweating, I was sunburned. And I looked ahead of me at all of that I had left to do. And I finally said, there's no way I can ever do this. I quit. And I threw the paintbrush down and I turned around to go back to the house. And behind me was 50 fence posts that I had painted. And it took my breath away. And I was like, oh, my goodness, look at these amazing fence posts. Look what I've accomplished. And by looking at what I accomplished, I had a renewed sense of energy. So I would turn around and I'd paint one more, two more, three more. And every single time I would get discouraged, I would turn around and say, yeah, you're tired, but look what you did. Look what you've accomplished. So I think sometimes in life we need to stop when we get discouraged and, and write down five things that you've, that you've uh, accomplished in dance. You know, look at the little kids that are at the studio that don't know their right foot from their left foot and look where you are right now. And count that as a fence post that you've painted. And so, you know, you may not be where you want to be, but you're painting fence posts and you're improving and you're moving. And sometimes, you know, everyone thinks, oh, success is just this floodgate of everything that comes to you. And the reality is success is like a tiny grain of sand that hits the floor. And you don't think of anything about this grain of sand. But then go to the beaches in California and look at how much sand is there and how wonderful that sand is and how powerful that sand is and how it holds the ocean from, you know, taking over the, the buildings around those beaches. And that's what success is. It's tiny little grains of sand that over a long period of time turn into a beach. Wow. It's a lot to think about. I love that looking back and seeing the progress that you've made. Exactly. We're hard on ourselves and then everyone else is hard on us. The, the people that are not part of our support group, the people that are like, oh, well, so-and-so I know went to L.A. and they quit after two weeks. Or my daughter's friend went to New York and she never made it. So I don't want, you know what I mean? It's like those little teeny voices of negativity that get into your head and they're so much louder 
than the chatter that we have in our head that says, you know what, Lori, you can do it. And not only can you do it, you will do it. You know, we need to put voices in our head that are supportive and loving and caring and mute those negative voices because once those little negative voices get into our head, we've already got that. You know, there's two voices in your head. There's the one that's the cheerleader telling you you can do it, and then there's the one that's like, oh, should I, could I, insecurity, anxiety, that tells you you can't do it. So you've got to put that little negative voice that usually is louder than the voice of positivity. You've got to put it on mute. You know, it's like your annoying little brother or your little sister that's nah, nah, nah. You got to, you know, when you're trying to concentrate on homework, you got to put them on mute. You got to tune them out. Even though they're still back there making all that noise, you learn to tune it out. Amen. You know, I lived on 28th Street and 3rd Avenue and on 29th Street was the fire station in New York City. And it would be so hot in my apartment that I would have to sleep in the wintertime with my window cracked because we had steam heat and there was no way to regulate the temperature. So it was either 99 degrees or it wasn't. So I would sleep with a couple of the windows cracked so that I could let a cool area. And that was the only way to bring the temperature down to like 70 where it was comfortable enough to sleep. So I would hear these sirens going off all night long, all night long. And I could fall asleep and tune out these fire trucks, I wouldn't even hear them after a while. But my guests, when they would come there, would be like, how do you sleep here with these fire trucks going off all night long? And I would look at them and I'll be like, I don't even hear them anymore because I learned to tune them out. How did you learn that? Just tune them out. You want to honestly know how I learned to tune them out? Mm-hmm. Is I would say a prayer every time I would hear one Thank of those sirens go off. I yeah. would say a prayer that wherever they were going, that the people who needed them would be safe and that they would be safe. Leading with I love. I, 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 so eventually, when I would hear them in my mind and in my sleep, I would just send positive energy to that fire truck and hope that whoever needed them would be you know, if it was a paramedic or if their house was on or apartment was on fire, that they would be okay. And that was how I dealt with those annoying, you know, sirens going off, you know, because Jeff Amston. Yes, ma'am. You are a beautiful person. And I love that prayer. Yeah, that we all get what we need. Lead with love. Keep going. You try to love. Well, I was I try to tell my students, they all are on their cell phones. And I say, well, what happens to your cell phone? battery when you have 24 programs running on your phone at the same time and they're like well your battery life goes down and i said okay so now you have a cell phone and it's saying you have 24 percent left battery are you going to spend that 24 percent of your battery arguing with somebody on facebook who doesn't hold the same political view with you are you going to waste that battery on arguing with somebody in your daily life that doesn't share the same view with you. So save your battery. Keep your mind focused on where you want to go and save your energy for what you can use it for uh, positivity. Don't waste up your battery life on people that are not going to ever agree with you. No matter how you approach it, they're never going to agree with you. So don't pick a fight with them. I was reading a thread yesterday about somebody who was arguing about something and there was this thread and this person that I know jumped in there and caused this huge ruckus and huge fight. And I thought he didn't, that person didn't convince one of these 30 people that were arguing with him. (laughs) He didn't convince anybody about his point. 
Right. Everybody was up in arms and everybody, you could just feel the bile and the hatred and the, the uh. negativity. And I just thought, what a waste of battery life. What a waste of time. What a waste of energy. You could have been doing so many more things to improve your day, to improve your life, to improve your neighbor's life. Just don't waste your battery on people that are not going to recharge it for you. <laughs> your way with words is killing me. <laughs> <laughs> They're not going to recharge your battery. You know, they don't have an iPhone charger. So, you know, don't waste it. And you only have so much bandwidth. 24 right. hours in the day. Yes. yes. You got to build your dream from the ground up and you got to protect it and you got to cherish it. and You got to nurture it and you got to guard it like it's your own heart. Oh, so beautiful. I have one final question for you. Do you believe yes, everyone has a dream? I would like to believe that everyone has a dream, but I see a lot of people who have given up on their dreams. Okay, so and you're I, with me. I believe everyone has a dream. Yeah, and I believe that people had dreams and maybe they got sidetracked and maybe they got themselves into a situation where they felt like they couldn't get out of that situation. And I would like to say to people, there's always a way out. Always. There's always a way out of each situation, and that's why it's important to surround yourself with people who are going to lift you up. They're going to lift you up, and they're going to carry you and help you get to the next level. And sometimes it's as simple as asking. If somebody said to me, hey, I would really love to come and take your ballet class, but I have zero dollars, I would say, okay, well, then you can come to all of my ballet classes, but you're going to come clean my house once a week. Or you're going to wash my car or you're right. going to do, you know, there's a way. Go to your dance teacher and say, look, I can't afford this, this and this. And then say to your dance teacher, what can I do for you so that you can help me? There's always going to be, I swear to God, I guarantee you there's not going to be a dance teacher that's going to turn you down or an acting teacher right. or, or a voice teacher or a horseback riding teacher. You know, Especially if you're serious I, about learning the craft. Yeah, I was, I was, you know, 14 years old. My mother was divorced. She was working as a legal secretary, making very little money. My dad paid $60 a child for three kids. He paid $180 a month child support. When I discovered dance, I went to my dance teacher and I said, what can I do? Because my mom said she supports me, but she can't pay for it. But she supports me doing it. What can I do for you? to help you out. And my dance teachers, you know, she's like, well, you can help me with the costume orders. You can help put these checks into the bookkeeping thing. You can clean the mirrors, you can clean the floors. So I was so involved in creating the financial aspect of paying for my classes that when I took those classes, I was a hundred percent invested in every second of that class because I had paid for it out of hard work and sweat. And I think that's what helped me progress so rapidly was that I was never goofing around in class because I had clean toilets to pay for that class. <laughs> and I worked at a cement factory for a year. I would clean that cement factory every single night from 8 o'clock until midnight after I'd taken two or three ballet classes. And years later, after I was in the Joffrey concert group, I went back to my hometown to perform at the opera house. And I saw the owner of that cement factory, and he said, you were the best janitor that I've ever had in the history of owning this cement factory. And I said, to, I tell my students, I am just as proud as being the best janitor 
at that cement factory as I am of anything that I've ever done in my artistic career. Because my work ethic is my work ethic. It's like a painter signing their name to a painting. When I work on something, that's my signature is 100% of my effort will go into whatever I do. Whether it's being a janitor, cleaning the stall, mopping my own floor, or making my own bed, I'm going to do it as if I'm in a Broadway show. That's how I got through cleaning that cement factory. I would just visualize this energy is going to someday get me into a Broadway show. And you know what? It did. And that's what got you to paint the fences, and that's what got you to be able to support yourself through your performing arts career. Yes. You know what? You just drew an analogy about appreciating the dance class because you had to pay for it with sweat and toil. And I remember once when I was in a lot of pain, I think I was in my early 20s, I just came out of a really rough relationship, was like having a meltdown, and I went into therapy. And I remember the woman saying, I don't take insurance. You have to pay out of pocket. You have to write me a check or bring me cash because if you're paying for it, you'll appreciate it and you'll implement what I tell you or what will you learn. You'll implement it. She didn't say all that, but that was the crux of it. She was like, mm-hmm. you'll appreciate it more when you're paying for it. And yeah, I didn't get it at the time, but it, oh, yes, I was at, in and out of there in no time because she gave mm-hmm. me a toolbox. And then once you paid for that toolbox, you don't need to keep paying for it over and over with the same life lessons. You, you, yeah. we, we keep making mistakes. That's okay. But you can learn from them so that you can make them less frequently or you make them differently and you continue to learn as you go along and you forgive yourself. And like you say, you look back at the fence post that you painted and you pat yourself on the back of me once in a while. Yeah, it's every once in a while you have to go, good job, now get your back, butt back to work. Oh, yeah, or take a and day off and relax. Toolbox, once you have a toolbox, you can build yourself a house. And if something breaks, if something falls down, you can fix it because you got the tools to do it. You better believe that's right. I have a whole toolbox for almost every scenario, which is why I never need to argue with anyone. That in and of itself is a gold mine. Because well, my, you know, my mental space is always protected. I'm telling you, one of the greatest lessons that I ever learned from my mother, who is probably the smartest person who I've ever met, she would never argue with somebody who was not smart. She could tell from speaking to them, she would have a discussion. But when they started the argument and she would start discussing it, as soon as they, as soon as she would would let it go and change the subject, because she knew that no matter how heated and how upset and how articulate she was, she was never going to change that person's mind. So, you know, people have to change their mind through self-discovery and, you know, self-evolvement, you know, yelling and screaming at people never makes them change their mind. And in a relationship, if there's an argument, you know, you might win the argument, but nobody really wins an argument in a relationship because somebody, if you've won that argument and the other person feels less than or their feelings are hurt, then you've actually lost that argument because now you have to try to rebuild that person back up to where they were, where you were both on the same level. And Mm -hmm. if that person feels like they have been set down two or three notches, then there's going to be a huge disconnect in a relationship. Not in a relationship. Are your parents. <laughs> true, <laughs> true. When you're in their house and you're eating their food, you better just say yes, ma'am, and yes, sir, until you can afford to pay your own cell phone bill, pay your own mortgage, pay your own car payment, pay your own car insurance, 
And all of that, then you can argue with your parents and win. But until then, you ain't going to win an argument. Nope. Nope. Unless they the parents shouldn't are, let you win, for sure. I was just about to say, unless the parents have abdicated authority or have lost authority in some way. Moving well, on. we've already talked oh, about that with people buying their kids' Mercedes for their 16th birthday, and where do you go from there? So that's a whole other discussion, but you and I agree on that. Oh, yeah. One of the things my mother told my young sisters when they were dating, she said, you know, if a young boy goes out and has three jobs and he has worked and toiled and toiled and toiled to get that car, then he is going to wash it and protect it. He's not going to let his friends drive it. And the same thing is true for you, young ladies. If that boy has to work and work and work and work to try to win your affection, when he finally gets it, he's going to appreciate it. But if you just give it away, they're going to they're going to just they're going to take advantage of you. So if you want somebody to cherish you and worship you and to value you, then you have to show that you are worth working for, that you are valuable and that you will let them know when you feel they are worthy of your your time and your attention. And, you know, because you think we'll go back to that battery when I'm giving somebody my time, I'm taking time out of that piece of pie that I carve for the day for myself. If you have a boyfriend that says, oh, you're going to the dance studio too many days. Yet oh, again. I don't, want, I don't want you to go out of town to another dance convention, but that is not the right person for you because they're trying to, they're trying to make you second guess what your goals are and what your dreams are. And maybe not even intentionally. Yeah. Because a, sometimes had, people don't my, see your vision. They don't see your dream. Right. Or they don't, they don't see it and they don't think that you really mean it when you and say And guess what? They don't have to see it, and they don't have to know what you mean. You have to walk that talk, and you show them. There's right. only one way to do it, and that is to actually do it and make all the naysayers stand up, take notice, and say, okay, didn't see that coming. Or, I kind of saw that coming. I saw the focus. I saw the determination. Yeah, I saw the resiliency. I've done this for so long, and I've been teaching. I talked for... 10 years at Broadway Dance Center, 10 years at the Edge Performing Arts Center. I've taught at countless studios, master classes across the country. And I've seen so many phenomenally gifted young people, men and women, go to New York or go to L.A. And their careers were derailed through relationships, people who didn't support them, people who were like nagging them, come home, come home, come home, I miss you. And then they move back home for this person. Yeah. But do you know what? In those instances, because I've been in my share of relationships, in those instances, though, you can always bounce back because the dream is still there and you still own it. It's still yours. It hasn't gone anywhere. It hasn't changed. It's just been derailed. <laughs> nope. Thank you. You didn't, you didn't lose, lose the talent. talent. You may have to rehone it and re, you know, get back in shape a little bit and, mm -hmm. you know, get your ankles stronger or whatever. But, you know, maybe you didn't really work on your diet. But, you know, you can always change your eating habits and get yourself back in shape in a few weeks. Jeff Amston, it's been a real pleasure. Now, I know you have two pigs, five dogs, and six horses, but I know there's something else that you tend to every day. What? I have five horses, two goats. Oh, five horses. Five horses. One is a baby, one's month old. That's Luna. I have two goats. I have two pigs. I have 10 chickens, and I have five dogs and three cats. Do you eat the chicken eggs? 
I eat fresh eggs every single day, the most delicious eggs that you can ever imagine. And because I have 10 chickens, I sometimes get, I don't know, 10, 12, 14 eggs a week. So I give them away as gifts. Oh, okay. Uh, my chickens are free range, so they have two acres to walk around on. You know, they're wonderful and they're fed 20% protein, which is the highest level of protein in chicken feed. And uh, they sit on the front porch with my dogs and my cats and we all hang out together. And the rule of my ranch is everybody must get along. Nobody chases anybody. Nobody harms anybody. The dogs don't chase the cats. The cats don't chase the chickens. And um, I've actually seen my chicken go after one of my dogs before because she thought his rope was a worm and was trying to fight him over it. It was the funniest thing I've ever seen. So, yeah, and and, um, I just sit here and I put on music and I meditate with my animals and I stretch sometimes out in the pasture and we all just kind of commune together. So, you know, I'm vibrating and I'm meditating and I'm stretching and I'm preparing myself. uh, You know, my job, my goal right now is to keep the light shining bright on all of my students' dreams. And, uh, you know, I'm doing that through teaching online classes and trying to motivate them to to push themselves through this time so that they come out the other end stronger and better than they were when this started. How beautiful. Helping your dancers to keep the light on their dreams. Keep you know the what? Light That's on what... your dream alive. Mr. Jeff Amston, yeah. it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. I love you. Keep vi- I love you and keep vibrating where you are. It's a beautiful spot. You are my inspiration, Laurie Johnson. You are my sunshine, my I only my sunshine. Only okay. Sunshine. Yeah, goodbye. I love you. I love Bye. you, Jeff. Bye-bye. Jeff Amston. Wow, what an individual. I hope that something he said reminds you that you're okay. Something that was really important to me, what he said, was about this particular moment. Like, regardless of how you feel, if you can get yourself to just sit in the moment and at that moment say, regardless of how, what just happened, anxiety, stress, overwhelm, bad news, to just say right now, at this particular moment, what can I do to calm myself down and to just resonate with at the moment, I'm okay. At this moment, I'm not worrying about tomorrow. I'm not worrying about the past. At this moment, I'm okay. I'm sending you love. This is Lori Talks. Please check out the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, currently known as iTunes. I open up the phone lines on Wednesdays, 855-655-LIFE. That's 855-655-5433. I look forward to speaking with you very soon, and thank you very much. Send me a comment. I'm reading everything. Send me a DM. I'm reading those, too. I appreciate you.